Psalm 127, Psalm 127. I want to preach on the home this month. Psalm 127. I guarantee you that this will be a series of messages. I can pretty well guarantee that I'm going to make everyone in this room angry during this month. <laughs> at some point, at some time. How do you know that? Because it already rubbed me the wrong way. When you start talking about the home, Psalm 127, when you start talking about the home, you're talking about some of the hardest kind of messages to preach and to hear. Psalm 127, while you're turning there, why is it so hard to, to listen to preaching on the home and really begin to, to look at it? Some people love it for a while and then they get tired of it and... You know, they, they want help with their home or whatever. But I found that this is the most hardest type of message to preach because so many of us are our worst critics. We will find the faults in everything and everyone around us. We'll find faults with, with people that we see that seem to be doing better than we are and we'll go, oh, look, they, they just failed. And we're, we're like that so that we won't have to deal with the messes that are in our homes. That was not me. There are a lot of failures when it comes to the home and to the family. There are a lot of failures. Eric is not the only one who's a weak man. Uh I found also that when we come to teaching and learning about the home, you're dealing with proud people today who are not hungry to do things God's way. Um, we pretty well want to wing it when it comes to marriage. We'll find a girl, we'll find a guy, and we'll just sort of, we'll live together, we'll maybe get married, we'll sort of just go along our way and we'll do fine. And no, you won't. In our generation, we have this idea that we don't need to be trained, we don't need to be discipled, we don't need, we don't need anything. We, we just need, all you need is love. And that's, if that's true, if that's true, why are so many of us a mess? Why are so many homes and marriages a mess? I really believe that there are many demons at work in every family. You have the demon of that television. Just fueling, like, it's like you open the sewer right into your home. Yeah, the internet, not only is it available in your home, it's on your phone, and if Apple has this way, it'll have the internet on your watches. You know, it just, it just keeps coming. And it's very, uh, very high price to try to have a good home. It costs a lot. Not in chocolate, by the way. It costs a lot. We're going to give you a hard time, Eric. But it's very pricey in terms of commitments and time that it takes to have a good home. So, when, when you start to look at the home and to the family, and, and I, I, home sweet home, that's a, that's a phrase that's almost gone. You get somebody who'd say, oh, I'm home, home sweet home. We've sort of, we've sort of gone to where we go, well, I'm home. <laughs> I'm home, and that's it. It's not sweet, but it's home. Now, uh, Psalm 127, verse 1 says this, Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Except the Lord keep the city, the watchman waketh but in vain. Talking about when he starts building a house, yes, he's talking about using like bricks and mortars, but he's dealing with a family, he's dealing with the home. As you go along in the verse, it says, It's vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows. Speaking of the home, for so he giveth his beloved sleep. Lo, Children are an heritage of the Lord. He speaks of children and family, um, uh, like, like building. And when it, no matter how hard it is to, under, to, to grasp and to learn, and, and by the way, uh, there are so many books written about marriage and home and child rearing, and it's, a, it's an amazing thing that God already wrote a book. 
God already wrote a book. Now, most books i found are trying to say what God said without offending anybody. <laughs> so they'll say it a certain way so that people, oh, I like that now, when God already said it. So we're going to listen to what God says. You see, this is God's word on the whole. What you hold in your hand, if you would, take your Bible. I want you to understand this is God's word on the whole. This is his book that tells us how to have our homes. And it, it doesn't change. It doesn't need to be updated, doesn't need to be adjusted, doesn't need to even be reviewed by the NHS or by the um, health services executive. It needs to be obeyed from the heart. Romans chapter 6 says, But God be thanked that you were the servants of sin, but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered to you. Now the very foundations of the home need repair. If you compared it to subsidence, how many of you would like to buy a house? Like that. You know what went wrong with this house? Okay, it wasn't a ninja problem. Okay, it wasn't a very large rat problem. It was a foundation problem. It was subsidence. Hey, the ground shifts, doesn't it? Uh, dirt is not usually solid enough. You build a house on a home, you must have a strong enough foundation so that when the ground underneath shifts, the house stays strong. Your foundation is the key, and our world is shifting. Things change. Health changes. Uh, finances and problems help, uh, uh, affect us, whatever. But the foundation has to be strong so that the family, so the home stays together. You don't need a new spouse. You don't need new hairstyle. You don't need new face. Now, that's for most of us. You don't need new clothes. You just need to restore the proper foundation. We had subsidence at our home. Thankfully, it was under insurance. And they came in and said, uh, uh, you've got subsidence here, 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 here. You know what they had to do? Pull up the boards and the floorboards and along the side, dig up the foundation, inject new. They had to work on it and reinforce the foundation. We need to do that in our home. You can't just say, you know what, well, I'll throw a few plasters on there. You're not plastering that. Now, uh, if, you, if, you, if, if, if you were living in that house, and if I came to your house and knocked on your door and said, come on in, pastor, sit down. You want a cup of tea? I go, sure, it's breezy in here, you know. <laughs> and I looked at that house and I saw all the cracks in the walls and the floorboards all pulled up and everything and felt the breeze coming through and stuff. You know what that tell me about the owners? That tell me the owners didn't care about their house. Would you agree? Didn't, didn't value where they lived. And when our homes are a mess, and there's not one of us that aren't, don't have a, a mess of a home. When our homes are such a, a, a state that, the, that it's just cracked to bits and it's falling apart and we're doing nothing about it, it just testifies to God we don't value it. We don't care about it. Now, uh, God has a manual on the home. By the way, I'm selling it for $29.95. In the, no, I know. <laughs> Sorry, that's not the manual you need. That doesn't exist. That one does. Amen. God has a manual on the home. I remember when, when you know, uh, when I was young, everybody said this. says, when you get a kid, he doesn't come attached with an instruction manual. Well, that was a lie. You're supposed to be reading the instruction manual before you had the kid. Amen. God gave us a Bible. By the way, God's manual on the home is not about the home. You're not going to find... Uh, uh, the book of Hesitations, chapter 3, all about how to have a perfect home. Hesitations doesn't exist. You don't find a chapter in a book that's dedicated just to the home. You see, when, when you come to God's manual in the home, you find foundations. You find out what it means to be a man. That's where the foundation begins. What it means to be a woman today. What it, uh, what it means to have integrity. How to have faith and purity and holiness and commitment and loyalty and love. When you have those things, the foundation, you can have a home. You don't have to say, this is how to get your wife to do what you want. That's not going to be found in the Bible, is it? No, it's going to be the foundations of how to have a good home. Now, God not only gave us a manual on the book, on the, on the home, he also gave us a remedy book for when our home's not like it should be. In the very same book. By the way, let me also say this. The Bible applies to any home. You know, when this country and every country followed God's laws, even though 
the, uh, the population didn't maybe know the gospel or wasn't saved. Do you know, when they followed God's rules, their homes were safe, their kids were safe. Uh, mom and dad stayed together. Uh, generations uh, went on and, and did great things when people followed God's rules, even though they may not have been born again. You understand what I'm saying? You see, the Bible works. And we need it again, especially among Bible-believing Christians. These are God's designs. Um, now, there are many examples of families in the Bible. You know about Adam and Eve and their children. They are a good example of how to press ahead in spite of constant failure and limitations. Had Noah and his family, how to save your family before it's too late. You have Abraham and Sarah, how to wait on God and trust Him for impossible things. You have great examples of families in the Bible. This morning, I want to look at Isaac and Rebecca in Genesis chapter 24. If you'll take your Bible, go back to the back. Go back to the front, sorry, in Genesis chapter 24. And look at a family. And learn a few things from their home and discover the foundations that God built under their home and their family. By the way, God records these not because of their perfection, but because of what He put into their family and worked in for our comfort and our hope for our learning. So would you open to Genesis chapter 24 and let's begin this month of study on how to have a home sweet home. Father, would you help me be a help to your people? I don't have all the experience. I don't have much wisdom at all, but I do have you and your book. And I've asked you, God, to help me be a help. God, I know this is going to upset some people because it's going to deal with reality. We're not going to talk about pie in the sky. We're not going to talk about airy-fairy. We're not going to talk about theories. We're going to talk about what's right and what's wrong and what's to be expected and what's to be dumped and gotten rid of. We don't want to do that. We don't want to start over. We want the world to revolve around us, and it doesn't. So please, humble us this morning. There's a lot of problems here, right here. And what's good news is they can all be fixed if we'd listen. Lord, uh, it's, going to take, it's going to take keen interest. We've made, I've made huge mistakes just being too passive, just letting people find their way. Now it's time for us to decide, no, we need to do things God's way. So strike every heart with the hammer of your word. If you need to, break the hearts. But would you please not only save some marriages and some future homes, but save some souls. Help somebody realize there's a better way. And it's through the Spirit of God as we yield to Jesus Christ. So I pray for your help this morning now in Jesus' name. Amen. Genesis chapter 4, I start off here with the first three verses. I want you to see the family begins with marriage. Genesis chapter 24, verse 1, Abraham was old and well stricken in age, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. Now Abraham's got a son named Isaac. And look at verse 2, And Abraham said unto his eldest servant of his house that ruled over all that he had, Put, I pray thee, thy hand under my thigh. This is a way that, that you'd have one hand under the thigh and the other hand raised in the air. And he said, and I want you to swear, verse 3, And I will make thee swear by the Lord, the God of heaven, and the God of the earth, that thou shalt not take a wife unto my son of the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell. And I want you to see something very simple here. God starts with a husband, he starts with a wife, and he starts with children, and that makes a family. A family is not boy meets girl and has a baby. The Bible starts and ends with marriage is honorable and all in the bed undefiled, but whoremongers and adulterers, I'm not going to judge. God will judge. So, marriage is honorable. Now, I know people don't think it is. I know people have demoted marriage or thought that it's an impossible thing to even, even contemplate or whatever, but it is the right way to go. And if you want to have a family, you don't get a girlfriend. If you want to have a family, you don't get a boyfriend. You get married. Amen. Seek to be married. It used to be little girls used to play with dolls and then prepare to, they would go, oh, I'm a mommy. But now it's, 
girls growing up, I'm a corporate executive. And if I get a baby, I'll have to get a guy instead of a husband. We're messed up, folks. Our age is totally messed up. There, there used to be little girls used to want to be married. Little boys wanted, used to want to be a knight in shining armor. Used to want to whisk in and save that damsel in distress and show off how strong they were. And one day be a husband and a dad. Where are those boys? They're being, they're being painted up. They're being put eyeshadow on. They're taking little boys and confusing them and saying, maybe you're transsexual. Maybe you'll be happier as a girl. It's confusion. It's demonic. Seek to be married, man. You say it's the best life. It's the hardest life you'll ever live. But it's worth it. You ever asked anybody who ever tried to go into the Olympics? You said, how do you like running? How do you like, how do you like throwing that discus? How do you like uh, 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 rowing? How do you like uh, doing this or that activity? They say it's the hardest thing I've ever done. But it's worth it. Value is in the fruit of it. Seek to be married and seek a family. Seek a family. Most people spend their life looking for a boyfriend or a girlfriend. Why don't you look for a family? God might bring you a wife. If you're looking for a family, God might bring you a husband. So family, uh, family begins with, with, with a wife and with a husband. And get help finding a spouse. Look at verse 4. Chapter 24 and verse 4. Abraham's still talking to Eliezer, his servant. and thou, He says unto him, thou shalt not, sorry, thou shalt go into my country, to my kindred, and take a wife unto my son Isaac. And the servant said unto him, Well, peradventure, the woman will not be willing to follow me unto this land. Must I needs bring thy son again unto the land from whence thou camest? Do you want me to take your son with me? And Abraham said unto him, Beware that thou bring not my son thither again. The Lord God of heaven, which took me from my father's house and from the land of my kindred, which spake unto me, and that swear unto me, saying, Unto thy seed will I give this land. He shall send his angel before thee, and thou shalt take a wife unto my son from thence. Thou shalt do it. Now, here's a great truth, all right? Uh, there's nothing wrong with looking for a wife. As a matter of fact, Proverbs 18.22 says, Whosoever findeth a wife, findeth a good thing. It doesn't say finds a girlfriend. It says finds a wife. You find a wife, it's okay to go looking for a wife. By the way, uh, every one of us did it. You know, we didn't just sit in our room going, all right, Lord, any time, have the girl knock and I'll propose. It's not going to happen. It's okay to go looking for it. But we need help. Uh, if, if you're looking for a spouse, you need, you need help finding one. Uh, only in our Western culture, we're so proud that we won't seek to sit down with our pastor or with our parents or some godly person in our life and say, help me be ready to get married. Help me find a godly wife. By the way, you shouldn't just marry anybody you find. I, I could tell you countless stories. I can tell you about in my own family back uh uh, we're the first guy that, that looked at my sister she married because she smiled because he smiled at her. It turned out to be the worst thing in her life. Just don't say, well, let's get hitched. No, no, no. You better get some counsel. A disco girl doesn't usually make a good wife. A toy boy definitely doesn't make a good husband. A lazy bum who won't work definitely does not make a good husband. Amen. Don't just marry anybody who says they love you. Don't just go and get whoever you want. Abraham, the father of Isaac, took the initiative. Here's a dad who's proactive in his son's life. There's one thing I was wrong about in my children's life. It was that I was too passive. You see, I, really, I sort of grew up on my own, and it's hard for me to think that that's not how all children are supposed to grow up. And it's very important for a father to be very active in his child, children's lives. Oh, a lot of parents may control or dominate, but God's looking for dads who will guide, listen, and carry our children through each day as we're needed. Abraham looked, saw a need in his son, and he acted on it. He sent his servant to go find a wife for Isaac. Now, would you trust anybody to find a wife for you? Here, Gavin, don't tell Dan, but I'm going to go find you a wife, okay? <laughs> All right, would you trust me? No, I'm sorry. <laughs> Good night, man. But Isaac trusted his dad. You know, Isaac saw in his dad a real faith. Saw somebody he could trust. I wish, I wish you had somebody like that in your life. Maybe it's not your dad, but you need a godly man, a godly woman in your life that you can trust 
to tell you what you should do and what you shouldn't do. That's a good friend. Isaac trusted his wife, father completely. Remember the altar experience? He let his dad put him up on a pile of rocks and tie his legs, and tie his hands together, and pull out a knife. And Isaac went, Daddy, you know, I find the altar, I see the wood, hey, there's the fire, and uh, oh, where's the lamb? <laughs> and Abraham said, the Lord will provide himself the lamb. And then he pulled out that knife. And Isaac laid there and waited to see what was going to happen. That's trust. I have, that's great trust. So here now, when, when God, when, when Abraham says, son, I'll get you a wife, uh, Isaac said, I can trust you. That's not something that, you know, listen, don't ask your mom to find you a wife. That's, that's not what this is teaching. This is not for you to say, go find me a wife. But you need counsel. You need somebody to be involved in helping you because you probably will fall in love with the first person that winks at you. Guess what? There needs to be a big buzzer on your forehead. And somebody can just go, Bing! don't do it. Because it's hard. Once you've switched on and all those chemicals start flowing and you think you're in love, it's hard to switch off. Would you agree? So you need, you need help. Now, the truth is, the actual guidance would come from God. Abraham already said there in verse 5 or verse 7, he says, the God of heaven he will go before thee. God's going to guide you. Abraham no, had no crystal ball. And by the way, can I say this? Isaac didn't say, uh, Dad, make sure she's blonde, five foot six, and uh, she's got um, a little dimple here, and uh, make sure, you know. No, 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 no. There, was, there, was, there were no prerequisites. It was, God, I need a wife who will stick with me, thick and thin, and will love me, and that I can love Till, the, till, de- till death to his part. So there's a lot of prayer, a lot of fasting, a lot of seeking God's will. But let me say this. There was no guarantee. Look there in verse 9. Uh, verse 8 says, And if the woman will not be willing to follow thee, then thou shalt be clear from this my oath. Only bring not my son thither again. And the servant put his hand under the thigh of Abraham, his master, and swear to him concerning this matter. So, He's actually said, what if, the, what if the woman doesn't want to come? What if I choose a woman and she doesn't want to come? Then Abraham says, that's all right. Just come on back then. You'll be clear. So it's not like a guaranteed operation. Well, pastor, you said if I prayed and I waited, God would give me a wife. You better be careful because sometimes God may want you single. Now, we don't like to hear that. I wouldn't like to hear that. But sometimes you've got to pray. You've got to say, Lord, do you even want me to have a wife? I had to pray that before I met Nita. When I finally let go of all my plans, I, I won't even tell you the torment of all the dating I went through. I was in Bible college trying to find some girl who would go to Ireland with me. As <laughs> soon as I said missionary, they're like, bye. <laughs> so I finally said, Lord, I'm fed up with it. I'm tired. I'm not looking anymore. <laughs> and by the way, if you want me to be single, I'll be single. That's when next, next thing I know, I'm meeting Miss Nita, man. My heart's beating out of the chest, and I'm going, thank you, Jesus. Amen. <laughs> you have no guarantee. You say, but I thought if you just follow the Bible, you'd get what you want. That's not, this is, this is no magic good luck charm, folks. This is no genie lantern. You do it God's way, and you leave him, leave to him the end. Amen. This gets even more serious. Look at verse 10. You want to have a good home, especially the foundational home? Speaking mainly the single guys, we'll get to the married couples in a minute. You want to seek, seek a servant more than a husband or a wife. Look at verse 10. And the servant, Eliezer, took ten camels of the camels of his master, and he departed, for all the goods of his master were in his hand. And he arose, and he went to Mesopotamia, about 400 miles away, under the city of Nahor. And he made his camels to kneel down without, outside the city, by a well of water at the time of the evening, when the time, even the time that women go out to draw water. Now at that point, all the men are still out in the field, and so the only one that would go, be able to go get water would be the women. And so they were all going to get water for the cooking and for the washing up, and all the women would be coming in. And here comes Eliezer, and he says, Good timing, I'm just going to sit here and wait and watch. Verse 12, and he said, O Lord God of my father, of my master Abraham, I pray thee, send me good speed this day. 
and show kindness unto my master Abraham. Behold, I stand here by the well of water, and the daughters of the men of the city come out to draw water, and let it come to pass that the damsel to whom I shall say, let down thy pitcher, I pray thee. Notice the gentleness. I pray thee. I ask thee. He's not demanding, give me water. That's how most men figure they got to command a woman. He says, let down thy pitcher, I pray thee, that I may drink. And she shall say, he's praying, he says, let one of them say, drink, and I will give thy camels drink also. Let the same, let that same woman be she that thou hast appointed for thy servant Isaac. And thereby shall I know that thou hast showed kindness unto my master. Now, what you're looking at there is, is, is a, a great testimony, the foundation of a marriage. And if you look down and if you don't see this in your foundation, I'm going to tell you, your roof's cracking, the walls are cracking, your marriage is cracking, you're, you're, you're all cracked up. What every marriage needs are two servants, not two self-centered jerks. Amen. If I could set your wife down, if I could set your husband down and it says, on a scale of one to ten, how, how, how do you feel in your home? Do you feel welcome or do you feel like you're a problem? You feel like you're a burden. You feel like, like everything's wrong. You think, and most of us would say, yeah, my needs aren't being met. Yeah, she doesn't understand me. He doesn't listen to me. That's how we would be, amen? But you know what the foundational problem is? Servanthood. You know what? I, uh, Eliezer was a servant. He said the best kind of a spouse, the best kind of a husband, the best kind of a wife is not a leader, not a, a great, strong man who, who can build houses and build empires. It's a man who will serve his wife. Best kind of a woman will be somebody who, when she sees the situation, she just serves and gives of herself time, energy, love, forgiveness. If you're going to have a good, any kind of a good home, you need two Servants. We're selfish by nature. If two people enter a marriage as servants to each other, ministering to each other, loving the other ahead of themselves, you'll have a home sweet home. Would you agree with that? You better believe it. If a woman looks for a show-off, fun toy boy, she'll get her wish. And he will greatly disappoint her in the end. But if she looks for a hardworking, selfless man who loves her and serves her as much as he serves others, she will be the happiest woman in the world. Would you agree with that? Amen. Servant. Look, next time you're looking for a wife, look for a serving woman. Next time you're looking for a husband, look for somebody who doesn't just sit there and wait for everybody to center the universe around them, but they're up busy trying to help people, trying to do something to be a blessing, trying to, trying to you know, just... Um, uh, make sure everything runs smooth. We're, 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 we're very passive. And we're not servants. There's a woman in the kitchen and she's working away. And what are all the guys doing? I'm not going to ask you what you said because I can only imagine it's bad. Amen. <laughs> they're just lounging around, just ignoring. That doesn't mean that all the men have to go in there and wash the dishes every time. But you know what? There ought to be a spirit of, I need to help. You know, we had at men's camp, we had some guys that were awesome who just came up and said, what can I do, Pastor? What can I do? What can I do? What can I do? That's about 10% of the crowd. But on those 10%, I could rely, and wow, it took the pressure off of me. Thank God. And we're, we're, that, those kind of men are worth marrying, ladies. You, ladies, you should have come to men's camp. No, not really. But anyway. <laughs> You're looking for a husband, look for a wife, look for a servant first. You want to, I'm studying my Bible. Study how to be a servant. And you'll go far. Study how to be a servant. Get ready to get married. Look at verse 15. Look at verse 15. Came to pass. Before he had done speaking his prayer, that behold, Rebekah came out, who was born to Bethuel, son of Milcah, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother. Wow, so this is a grandniece of Abraham. That's uh, Rebekah. With her pitcher upon her shoulder. Now she's the first woman down there. The damsel was very fair to look upon. She was a virgin. Neither had any man known her. Let's make sure you understand what the, mean, what the word virgin means. Neither had any man known her. 
She went down to the well and came and filled her pitcher and came out. Now imagine this well. This is not a normal well like you, like a wishing well, you know, you have this round hole in the ground and you drop the thing. No, this was a well that was a deep hole in the ground there in the desert. And so she had to go down into a very deep hole that was about probably six, seven, eight meters wide. She would go down there and there she would drop down her pitcher and bring it back up. And then carried back up out. And as she came back out of that hole in the ground, like a cave. Verse 17, the servant ran to meet her. And said, let me, I pray thee, drink a little water of thy pitcher. Can I have a drink out of your pitcher? And she said, back off, buddy. (laughs) No. (laughs) No, look what she says. Drink my, what's she say next? Say it with me loud. Lord. All right. This guy's a servant. He's dressed like a servant. He comes up to this this woman never met before. She is just she's already she's got a heavy weight. I don't know how heavy her bucket might have been or her jar or whatever. But as she comes out of that thing, this guy says, let me have a drink. She goes, I just balance this on my shoulder. man." And she says, drink, my Lord. We've lost that. It's beyond us to understand the servitude attitude. It used to be among us. She hasted and let down her pitcher upon her hand and gave him drink. When she had done giving him drink, she said, I will also. He didn't even ask her now. She then said, I will draw water for thy camels also until they have done drinking. And she hasted. She's not dragging her feet. And she emptied her pitcher into the trough again, ran again into the well to draw water and Drew for all his camels. And watch verse 21. 21 has got to be the greatest verse so far out of this. And the man wondering at her held his peace. He's like, he can't believe this is happening so wonderfully. Now, what you're looking at are these are characteristics of a young woman who's ready to get married. Number one, she's a hard worker. She's first to the well. She's not dragging her feet. She's not complaining and moaning about having to do chores and work. By the way, your home will take work, hard work for the rest of your life. If you think that by getting married, you now just have this great servant in your life and you can just lay out and be in bed and she will, uh, she'll do all the cooking, she'll do all the cleaning, she'll bring the coal in, I understand. Yeah. She'll, uh, she'll mow the grass, she'll change the oil. Amen. If that's what you think marriage is, you are sorely mistaken. It's going to take you hard work. He notices first in her a hard worker. Secondly, he notices she's beautiful. Now I want you to see this. She's beautiful not because of makeup. Listen, they're in the desert. It's the evening. It's not party time. She's not dolled up to go out to the disco. She is going to, from now, from this moment on, she's getting water, coming back, cooking, cleaning, uh, uh, organizing the evening and then shutting down for the night. She's beautiful already, just naturally. Now, how does a woman get beautifully naturally? Well, they're supposed to already, all women already are beautiful. That's how you design. That's why guys notice you. Amen? When a guy's beautiful, slap him. Okay? But women naturally are beautiful. But she has a beauty that catches this man's eye and it is a self-respect when she goes down there, her hair's not all sticking up on her side. She's not in her pajamas. She's not sitting there uh, with, you know, with tattoos of, you know, of, of everything uh, coming out from under her shirt and everything. She's not coming down there spitting. And, and she look, the point is this. This woman's come down there and she's beautiful. And she's enjoying herself as a woman. I don't know how she walked down there, but you can tell a beautiful woman by the way she handles herself. Because she has self-respect. Because she thinks highly of who she is, even though she doesn't have a man. Even though she doesn't have this husband. Even though she doesn't have a boyfriend. Even though she's stuck out in the middle of the desert. Eliezer looks and says, that's a beautiful girl. I think she was smiling when she came down. I don't think anything is more beautiful than a smiling woman. There's nothing worse than a mean, angry, frowning woman. Amen? I think she was happy, fun. She enjoyed what she was doing. 
You ever watch, there was a, a 1970s film, or 1960s film called Pollyanna. She was an orphan girl of two missionaries. Pollyanna was shifted from house to house, and finally she was sent off to some distant relative, some aunt somewhere. She was mean to her. She put her up in the room, and she just, everything was, 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 was wrong towards her. You know what Pollyanna did? She made a game and made joy out of everything. That's how I see Rebecca. She just didn't let it get to her. You want to be ready for marriage? Don't become your husband's future worst nightmare. Have joy. Because believe me, he'll push you. (laughs) Third, she was a virgin. Which meant she was not advertising her merchandise. She was saving herself for her husband. She was not a girl flirting around on the internet saying, buy me. She was ready to be married. She wanted to be married. She waited. You know, uh, I, could, I could spend a, a... God made you clean. He started you off clean. He started off pure. He started you off a virgin, ladies. He started off men as, as clean and as, 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 as uh, 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 ready for his wife in the future. And the devil comes along and the world comes along and says, sell it all out so that you've got nothing left to give when you do get married. That's wrong. That's wrong. Say, were you a virgin when you got married, Pastor? Sure was. You say, you're bragging. I think somebody needs to brag because everybody thinks there ain't none left. Was your wife a virgin? Yes, she was. First time I ever kissed her was when the, when the pastor said, you mean now kiss the bride. And I like lightning. <laughs> he didn't even have to say Bride. If you can survive and wait. Amen. Amen. A few of you agreeing. A virgin. She was ready to get married. See, if you're not getting ready, if you're not ready to get married, you'll throw yourself at the first guy that winks at you. You'll try to get in bed with any girl that you can. Because you're not ready to get married. If you're ready to get married, you'll wait. Amen. And she was a servant. There in verse 17, we already read it there, but let me just say. This was a stranger that just asked her for something to drink. This was an unworthy person in her life. He doesn't even belong there. He's not from there. And, and here's this guy, and she serves a servant. Gentlemen, you want a good woman? Watch how she treats people who don't deserve being treated well. Because one of these days, you're going to be one of them. That just went over some of your heads. She even called that servant, my Lord. She says, yes, boss. Yes, master. I don't know. I can't, I can't find words that match it. And she was willing to go the extra mile. She's the one that came up with the idea, the Holy Spirit put it in her heart, to go and water the camels. And by the way, camels drink a whole lot more than humans. She put that water out of that bucket into the trough, and those camels began to drink. And she went, okay. <laughs> Drew out another bucket full and brought out and filled it out. And I don't know how long, how many, times she, uh, how many times she had to fill up that trough with water. But you know what she did? She did it. That is a woman worth marrying. Amen? I want you to see service does have its rewards. Look at verse 21. And the man, wondering at her, held his peace to wit, to know whether the Lord had made his journey prosperous. He's like, could this be real? Verse 22. And it came to pass, as the camels had done drinking, drinking. When, when they finally pulled up out of that trough, and that's when all of a sudden he shook himself that the man took a golden earring of a half a shekel weight. Now, that's like a half coin weight and two bracelets for her hands of 10 shekels weight of gold. You know, when somebody gives me a good haircut, I usually try to give them a small tip on the top. You understand that? Because they did a good job. Some of you don't think they do, but I think they do. Amen. When somebody really works hard at a restaurant, serving my family and I, and I give them a little extra on the bill. It's called a tip, isn't it? But Eliezer gives this woman a reward beyond belief. A gold earring. I mean, Celine, if you got a gold earring, would that still be a lot of money to you? And then on top of that, gave her... 
two golden bracelets. That's quite a tip. Do you notice what just happened? Is he bribing her? He's rewarding her. Let me tell you, there is a reward. There is a reward to just be faithful. I bet she's served a lot of people. I don't think this is the first time she ever served a stranger. Do you agree? I bet she just had the habit. I bet her dad, I bet her uncle, I bet her brother taught her how to serve and how to work and expected it of her. And so I bet she's just been helping. I bet she's just been doing. I bet she's just been blessing. I bet she's just been been serving. And then the Lord says, time to reward her. See, rewards come to those who just stay faithful and keep going. Say, well, I helped out pastor and he didn't even thank me. <laughs> oh, you got to be careful. Service does have its reward. All of a sudden, one of these days, the Lord's going to show you a mansion you don't deserve. Walk you down streets of gold that you don't deserve to walk on. Going to open up that house and show you all the treasures, laying up treasures in heaven that you put up there. Same because you just selflessly served others. And then you're going to go, why didn't I serve more? Service does have rewards. Eliezer is shocked. He rewards Rebecca's service. And that's very important. He didn't bribe her. Her small act of kindness and your small acts of kindness. Jesus said, if you just give a cup of cold water to somebody in my name, or even in the name of just a prophet, you will not lose your reward. God sees everything you do. So if you haven't been rewarded yet, don't worry, God owes nobody. He will make sure he pays up. Now look at verse 23. In your, in your home and in your marriage, foundation, you're going to have to learn to trust God. Look at verse 23. We're going to read a little bit, 23 down to 38. He says back to her, he says, Whose daughter art thou? And tell me, I pray thee, is there room in thy father's house for me to lodge in? And she said unto him, I am the daughter of Bethuel, the son of my Milcah, which she bare unto Nahor. She said, Moreover unto him, we have both straw and provender enough and room to lodge in. The man bowed down his head and worshipped the Lord. And he said, Blessed be the Lord God of my master Abraham, who hath not left destitute my master of his mercy and his truth. I being in the way, and I, you ought to understand, underline those four, five words. I being in the way. That simply means I doing what I was supposed to do. The Lord led me to the house of my master's brethren. I came to my own, uh, my master's own family, extended family. And damsel ran and told them of her mother's house those things. And Rebecca had a brother, and his name was Laban. And Laman ran out, ran, out of the, ran out unto the man, unto the well. And it came to pass, when he saw the earring and the bracelets upon his sister's hands, and when he heard the words of Rebekah, his sister, saying, Thus spake the man unto me, that he, came unto, uh, that he came unto the man. And behold, he stood by the camels at the well. And he, Laban, said, Come in, thou blessed of the Lord. Wherefore sendest thou without? What are you doing out here? For I have prepared the house and room for the camels. And the man came unto the house and ungirded his camels and gave straw and provender for the camels and water to wash his feet and the man's feet and the men's feet that were with him. And there was set meat before him to eat. And he, but he said, I will not eat until I have told mine errand. And he said, Speak on. Now, Rebecca has brought Eliezer back home and introduces him to his, her older brother, Laban. And Eliezer, at this point, he reviews his purpose for coming, his commission. What was his commission? He's looking for a wife. He reviews, Eliezer reviews all the things just for time. In the next few verses, he goes over how he had prayed and said, Lord, let the first woman who, who gives me to drink and offers my camels to drink let that be the one, Lord. I don't know how to go find a bride for Isaac. Then he does something amazing. Uh, look at verse 49. And now, if ye will deal kindly and truly with my master, this is the servant speaking about Abraham, if you will deal kindly with Abraham, tell me. And if not, tell me that I may turn to the right hand to the left. If, if you're not interested... In this proposition, I bring an invitation from, uh, from Isaac for you to be married. And if you're not interested, I'll go elsewhere. Tell me yes or no. He asks Laban and Rebecca to consider his invitation. You know, isn't that what a soul winner does, by the way? 
Tell them the story, the wonderful story of God. Lord Jesus Christ, and you say, will you consider it? Will you come? It's up to you. Now run down to um, uh, verse 57. Verse 57. And they said, We will call the damsel and inquire at her mouth. And they called Rebecca and said unto her, Wilt thou go with this man? And she said, I will go. Now, I, this, this, this is not, you say, is that how you're supposed to find a wife? Is that, God does extreme things to show us how to manage the unknowns. Here's a, here's a servant, Eliezer, trying to find a wife. Here's Abraham trying to find a son's wife. Here's, here's um, uh, Rebecca not ever meeting Isaac, only meeting this servant, only hearing of, of her great uncle um, uh, Abraham, and now she's invited. There's so many unknowns. How do you handle the unknown? You trust God. You also trust your authority's guidance. In verse 57, they said, we will call the damsel. Now, what, what, I, what is going on is Laban could have said no. And, and, you know, thank God for people who have the influence in our life to tell us, don't do it. We live in a day where we don't want anybody stopping us from doing what we want to do. Amen? So before they ever asked Rebecca, they asked Laban, can she come? You know what he says? He, uh, in the previous verse, he says, yes. Thank God for that. Got his approval. But then they asked her. So sometimes... She's saying, I will go. This has the hand of God all over it. This isn't just my heart beating. This isn't just two people in love. This is God at work. And even my own brother agrees. It is very hard to get a brother to let his sister just go with anybody. Amen? And then you can step out into the unknown. She says, I will go. You know, when I got saved 35 years ago, I had no idea what I was getting into. I just knew this woman who had witnessed to me and the preaching that I heard and that Bible that I had read was calling me to something I could trust. And I could trust completely, even though I've never seen heaven, even though I've never met Jesus Christ, even though I don't have any half of of 1% of all my questions answered, I knew I could trust Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. How do you trust? How do you get into the unknown? Well, sometimes you need, you need an authority like the Bible. You need somebody you'll listen to that you trust. And, and when, when everything seems to line up, then you just step out. And she packs up and she leaves for a new home. Now, this is very important. Because her marriage was blessed by her family. Look at verse 60. And they blessed Rebecca. And they said unto her, Thou art our sister. But be thou the mother of thousands of millions. Now, I wouldn't want to take that literally. Think about it, it's funny. But anyway, they're saying, have lots of children. And let thy seed possess the gates of those which hate them. She and her future husband have their family's blessings. You need that. There's too many people who just run off and they've got their girlfriend, they've got their boyfriend, maybe even go off and get married and they've got nobody's blessings. I'm doing it. I don't care if anybody likes it or not. I'm in love. Yeah, I can tell you are. You know what? You don't need to start off your marriage like that, and you definitely don't need to keep your marriage like that. If you started your marriage where it was all you and all about you, and you did what you wanted, and you got what you wanted, and nobody's going to stop you, let me tell you, tear the house down, take the foundation out, put a proper foundation in there where you say, I'm listening to my authority. I'm listening to my dad. I'm asking people who are smarter than me what I should do because you're headed for ruin if you've got that attitude. She could have said, Laban, you're not telling me what to do. I love this man. I'm going to do it myself. She would have invited the worst nightmare of her life. Blessing of her parents. The Bible is very clear about listening to counsel instead of just doing whatever you want. She had her family's blessings. She sought their approval. That's a good thing. Her marriage was honorable and acceptable to her family and to God. Well, my family's not saved. You know, if they saw that you truly were doing things right, they'll have to say, it must be right. Amen. So start your family right. Teach your children to start their homes right. Set your kids down and say, be honest with them and say, Mom and I started it wrong. 
we had you early before we got married and it was wrong. I'm not just telling you don't do it like a smoker tells his kid don't smoke. I'm telling you don't do it because it cost us. It took us years. It's taken us an intense amount of effort to get to where our marriage is stable now because we were so willing to steal from the future. And I don't want you to do the same things and make the same mistakes that I made. Amen, amen, and amen. Talk to your kids honestly and say, not just don't make the same mistakes that I, but don't do things that God says don't do. Teach your children to start their homes right. Our society is having today to pay for faulty foundations because way too many people are not starting their families and their homes God's way. How do you explain, how do you explain all the explosion of, of, of perverse sexuality? You know, what's, coming in, what's in America right now is they've made laws that allow filthy, wicked, ungodly, drooling men who can wear a dress to be able to go into a girl's, to a little girl's toilet and claim to be a man. I'm sorry, claim to be a woman, even though he ain't anything but a man. And they made laws to protect that man instead of those girls in that bathroom. How did we get here? You know how we got here? We left the manual. You say, well, that won't affect my home. It already is. It's affecting every home. Two became one. Look at verse 61. Rebecca rose and her damsels, and they rode upon the camels and followed the man, and the servant took Rebecca and went his way. Isaac came from the way. Now, he, he's 400 miles away. He has no idea what's happening, when they're coming back, or whatever. Isaac came from the way of the well Lehorai, for he dwelt in the south country. Isaac went out to meditate in the field in the eventide. He lifted his eyes and saw, and behold, the camels were a coming. <laughs> Rebecca lifted up her eyes, and when she saw Isaac, she lighted off the camel. She jumped off. For she had said unto the servant, What man is this that walketh in the field to meet us? And the servant had said, It is my master. Therefore she took a veil and covered herself. And the servant told Isaac all things that he had done, and Isaac brought her into his mother Sarah's tent took Rebecca, and she became his wife, and he loved her. I wish you'd underline or circle those words, and he loved her. And Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. Now, if you notice, Rebecca's part is, she chose to love someone she had never met. And that's great faith and great trust. You know, real love doesn't care about the looks of the other person. She loved somebody, didn't matter what he looked like, Gentlemen, that goes for you too. She willingly gave up everything to form a new home. That takes some great faith. She humbled herself in Isaac's presence. You know, when she got off and she, she put on that veil, you know what she's saying? She's saying, you're the new head. You're the head of our, new, of our home. You're not the dictator, but just as Christ is the head of the church, you're now in charge. And she became Isaac's wife. Not his house cleaner. Not his cook, not his entertainer, not his mother. She became his wife. And Isaac's part. Isaac became Rebecca's husband. And Isaac loved Rebecca. That's got to be the greatest statement in the entire chapter. Husbands, love your wives. As Christ loved the church. Now, I'm not, my goal is not to love my wife like Isaac loved his wife. Isaac's trying to love his wife. Amen. And he's going to make some serious mistakes here. So I'm not comparing myself with the love that Isaac had for his wife, although it's great at this point. But my love for my wife needs to be compared to and measured by Christ's love for me. Wow. So Isaac's got some part to live up to. By the way, love is, really, love is not a physical act. But when it says Isaac loved his wife, it means it was an all-encompassing way of life from that moment on. He didn't love her before that. But his love was constant from then on. Love, true love, is an all-encompassing way of life. So husbands, love your wives. That means now, and then now, and now again, and, and, and now again. And at that point, that's when you have a home. When you've got these ingredients there, that foundation going, the home just seems to just bubble over and seems to just work. 
you say, well, what about this? What about failures? What about, what about when she's angry? What about when, when he, he doesn't, doesn't do what he's supposed to? What are, all of those questions are very small when the foundation's right. Yes, they're all, and I'm going to try to deal with it over the next three weeks, some different things. But those are the foundations. And by the way, this is not a happily ever after situation. That's only in the fairy tale. But it is a home. You say, well, our home's not great. Keep it a home. Don't let the devil tear it apart. If you've got a house and all of a sudden you get a... What do you do? Go, I guess it's over. Honey, we've got to move out of the house. There's a crack in the wall. No, you fix it, don't you? Say, your home is not great? Fix it. Very convicting. Home sweet home. Here's the summary. Here's the five things I want to talk about. A family is a gift from God. Don't you dare think you figured it out because you haven't. Proverbs 19.14 says this, Houses and riches are the inheritance of fathers. They pass down by your fathers. But a prudent wife, a careful, a godly, a, a thoughtful wife is from the Lord. If you've got any kind of a good woman, you got her from God. By the way, Matthew 19 says, Have you not read, Jesus said, that he which made them at the beginning made them male and female? For this cause shall a man leave father and mother and shall cleave to his wife, and they twain shall be one flesh. Wherefore, they are no more twain, but one flesh. What Therefore, God hath joined together. You got a wife? We go to her on the internet. Are you married? Then God did it. Can't send her back. <laughs> do you know, I hope that you desire that I'm going to do this thing right until I get something from God. You can't make or build a home or a family by yourself. That's why the Bible says, except the Lord build your home. You're wasting your time. You might have a home, but you can't make it strong unless you do it God's way. You cannot change. By the way, you can't change each other. You can, change, you can mold a child, but you better be careful, ladies, about molding a man. Because when you force a man to do your will, you've changed him from being a man. You don't mold a man. God does. You help him. But you don't strangle him. And men, you don't force your wife, molding a woman, forcing her to do what you want, only deadens her and quenches her heart. doesn't make a better woman out of her. You will obey! Switch off. Amen? You want that? That's the kind of relationship you want? You can't build your own. You say, well, I come to church twice a week, I mean twice a month. That's not enough. You better build your family in church. You better have them under preaching. What you can't say, I'll say. Amen? Amen? Get in here, man. You can't build, well, I'm going to build my home. I'm going to make my wife obey. I'm going to make my kids be good. You're going to end up without a wife and without kids. Prepare to constantly change for the better. Constantly change. A home is a garden. It's a place where people grow. You may be good at your job. You may be very self-confident. You may be so stinking sure of yourself. But there's no way on earth you are what you ought to be for your wife. Amen. No way on earth the women in this room are what they ought to be for their husbands. We've got to come down off of our royal horses. You know, we ride in. Beg God to make us better men and better women. Let God show you how selfish you really are. Listen to your wife and ask her, how am I really? And be ready. By the way, God can make your home sweet. Better than chocolate. Luke 22 is, Peter so confident in himself, he's got a sword at his side. Lord, I will defend you. Nobody's going to get near you. Lord, I'm your best friend. And the Lord says, today you're going to deny me thrice. You're not even going to know that I exist. You're going to deny everything about me. By the way, I prayed for you. And when you're changed, Peter, through the crucifixion, when you see me die on that cross and get buried, and when you see me rise again, and, and you're changed, when you're converted, I want you to then help your brethren, strengthen your brethren. Peter had some change to go through, didn't he? Peter thought he was ready for the kingdom. He thought he was ready to defend his Lord. And he was nowhere near ready. And there's not a man in this room who says, I'm ready to get married. I'm ready to raise a, a godly family. I'm ready to be the godly man. I'm ready to be the great husband my wife needs. 
No, you're not. Be ready to change. That's what we need. By the way, God gave his command. These instructions aren't just words on a page. They are commands. Husbands, the command is love your wives. Wives, submit to your own husbands. They're commands. That's why the books are written. Thousands of books are written. Because they're like saying, well, God suggests that... And, and by the way, this is not written to the husband. And by the way, it's just do it. And when we take the Bible, we go, you know, that's what I've got to do. I'm not worried about what she's supposed to do. I've got to worry about what I've got to do. And all of a sudden, the homes get it. And God's ways are followed by faith, not by feeling. Look at Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. In verse 8. By faith, and we're going back to Abraham, but just the greatest way to express expressing it here. By faith, Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance. Just get in your mind a picture. Abraham lives in one place. God says, I want to move you, Abraham. I want to, I want to grow you. I want to make a nation out of you. I want to do something with you. But you're going to have to trust me, Abraham. You're going to have to leave where you're at. You're going to have to come this far. And it's not all going to make sense. But if you trust me, I will make a great nation out of you. Keep going there. Verse 8. He obeyed. And he went out not knowing whether he went. That's you and me, if you would. You're starting right here this morning. God's got a, a sweet home for you. He's got something you've never had. Maybe you grew up in a home where mom and dad fought. Maybe you grew up in a home where they weren't even there. Maybe you grew up in a home where it was just abuse and it was just yelling. It was just hell on earth. But there's a sweet home that God wants to give you. And if you just say, Lord, I'm going to trust you. Take me from where I am. Show me how to get there and I will obey. Start with that attitude. You start doing things by God's way. By the way, I'll talk about this next week. Begin with praise. Don't roll up your sleeves and say, oh, what do I got to do? You know what you do? Thank God for what you have first. If you're single, thank God you're single. If you're married to Miss Devil herself, thank God. Say, why? Because God commands it. You're married to Mr. Demon himself. Praise God. Anyway, that's faith. You thank God for them and say, I may have made some mistakes, but it ain't a mistake today. I thank you, Lord, that I have what I have and I will not join the devil's crowd and try to tear down what you're trying to bless. If you're married, you're, you're stuck. So make it work. Do it by faith. Last point. Seek to be servants in your home. These are the summary of some of the things that I said I could talk about another hour. But seek to be servants in your home most of all. If you went home and you said, you know what, I've got a year. I wonder if I could do a thousand gifts of love to my mate. I wonder if I could do a thousand gifts to show my love to my children. Would you do it? What if you actually realized how much you're going to be rewarded and how much you're going to be investing if you were the kind of person who just blessed you say, well, they need a good, they need a good rebuking. Maybe they do. But then make sure you love them back. Make sure that home is a sweet home, a home where people want to come home to. Would you like that? That book's the way to do it. Father, right now, I just ask that you would help us this morning to not be afraid for you to open our hearts and start to work in our homes. I'm just a mouthpiece. My family is not the greatest example. They're going to find anybody could look and find cracks and problems in any one of our homes. But there's not one of us, single or married, who doesn't need work in either preparing to get married or holding on to what we've got. So Lord, we ask you right now, please forgive us for all the complaining, for all of the ignoring the problems. Give us the courage and the faith to let you show us how to have a home sweet home.
and expect all hell to break loose. Because that is the devil's territory right now and we need to take it back. I pray that we would desire it more than anything. Help us, Lord, to be humble enough to say, Lord, start over with me. That's how we got saved. We need some men in this room to realize they've been given a great gift of their wife, but they've never received the gift of God, which is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. There are ladies in this room who've never been born again. They, they come to church, they hold on to a Bible, but they don't know Jesus in their heart of hearts. They've never been saved. They need to get saved. And it's just like anything, they've got to start all over. Lost, without hope, without God, running to the cross and pleading and begging, asking for forgiveness that Jesus gives. And let them be saved today. Let some marriages be saved. Let some future homes be built. Let some past failures be buried and then started over. For Jesus' sake, amen.